Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I am your host, Justin. And what are we doing? Well, we're helping you turn your cities upside down. People say, well, how are you doing that? We're giving you scriptural motivations and strategies so you, my friend, can get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus. And again, just to make sure we're clear, when we say turning cities upside down, of course, that's uh, based out of a scripture in the New Testament where they brought these men before them, and they were going to accuse them. And I'm telling you, the accusation that they leveled against them was a phenomenal um, endorsement. But they said, these are the men who are turning the world upside down. And uh, how are they doing that? Well, you know, the power of the gospel rights wrongs. Most people are actually living in a perversion. It's a, it's an inversion. Things are twisted. And really, it's, it's a play on words because when we say turning worlds upside down, they're already living upside down. The word is helping to right things, righteousness. It's a right way of being and living and doing uh, it's the right way, according to the laws of the heavenly realm. And so when you get a hold of those, man, it turns your world upside down. It writes your world. And um, I'm telling you, you can truly live when you get things right. And so that's what we're doing. That's our, that's, that, uh, that's our vision. That's the mission behind the podcast. And uh, we're just helping you. Hallelujah. And we're cheering you on, friends. So let us know what you're doing. Let us know. Share with us. Send us the testimonies. Hallelujah. We love reading them. And uh, just uh, shared in a testimony from a brother the other day. He was at Home Depot walking, walking, you know, going somewhere to buy something. And he passed this aisle and he saw a gentleman there. And the Lord prompted him to go talk to him. And that guy accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's turning worlds upside down. That guy, that guy's world was turned upside down. Hallelujah. The gospel did that. And so we're just giving you uh, tips, tricks, pro tips, hallelujah, strategies, motivation right out of the Bible and uh, to get you going. All right. Well, we got something today, and I want to talk about being renewed in the spirit of the mind. We're going to talk about the spirit of the mind. The Bible dials in, um, really focuses in. I mean, there's several scriptures uh, in, in the New Testament in particularly that talks about that when we come to Christ, one of the first things that we begin to do then is to begin to change the way we think. Um, you know, before you were born again, you only knew uh, because you were spiritually dead. You weren't spiritually keen, at least not un- unto righteousness, not unto light or life. But uh, you, your your paradigm, the way you thought, the spirit of your mind, the, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the words here. Um uh, your framework was based on things that came out of the natural realm. And so the Bible talks about several places that when you get born again, one of the first things you need to do is allow a Jesus. We'll look at that. Ephesians says we've learned of Christ. Uh, Peter says that grace teaches us. Um, but when, when we are uh, uh, confronted with these new truths, I mean, new to us, they've always been. They're what are holding everything together. We're just, we've been lied to about them. We've been deceived. We've been blinded to them. And so now we're seeing them. 
Uh, they're clear to us. They may not make, quote, sense to us, but these things are coming at us and they're saying, hey, this is the way to live. And so what we do is we change the way we think to agree with what the ways of the kingdom, the word of the Lord, the revelation of Christ, the, the, those things that grace is teaching us. We allow our minds to be changed to line up with whatever um, we're being taught of him. And the Bible talks about that as being renewed in the spirit of your mind. The very core of the way we think needs to be altered and adjusted because then it will begin to produce, come on, uh, a new way of living. All right, so let's dial into this today. And uh, Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove right there is um, the same word that would be translated allow. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or allow the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A lot of people, you know, they're, I don't know, frustrated. Uh, they're disappointed. They are uh, confused. Maybe they're, um, you know, within the church world, some people may say like, well, I've just had faith failures. You know, I, I was believing for a promise. I was believing for something that I read about in the scripture, but I haven't experienced it. And so, you know, they're, they're sad, they're depressed over that or whatever. Well, um, to prove God's will uh, or to allow God's perfect will in your life. Let's just pick one. Let's say healing because, you know, this is a big topic too. And a lot of people have just flat come to uh, this understanding or they have uh, relegated uh, that they just may not experience healing this side of heaven. And, um, and so they get frustrated then that they have not been able to experience God's will in that area. And so instead of still holding to a very strict definition that it is God's will for you to be healed, they alter that because they haven't been able to match their experience with what God's word says. Now that, that, that's a long way around to say that that's a major problem. Um, we don't alter the word to fit our experiences. We must hold to the word in order to conform our experiences to the word. All right, and that's why I want to talk about this today. And this verse right here is going to help us. It's going to launch us right out of the gate and actually get into kind of the spirit of the matter or the crux of the, crux of the matter. That in order to uh, uh, experience God's perfect will, you have to agree with what the Bible says. And that agreement is what creates uh, an allowance of it. Agreement allows for a thing. Agreement, in this case, when the mind comes into agreement with the word of the Lord, something happens. This is what it's saying, that you will experience this transformative experience. Uh, for example, healing, that's very transformative. I, I mean, no matter what you're situation is, your ailment, your affliction, your sickness, your disease, your whatever, you are in a very, um, uh, it's a, it is a, um, maybe it's painful, 
maybe it's a death diagnosis. I mean, it's very limiting. It's debilitating. But if you're going to experience transformation, like, I mean, um, uh, and I think we'll get into this later, but the word even carries this idea of, of, of being transfigured. Like, like there's a change. There's an altering, maybe even down on the DNA level, something tangible. I mean, supernatural. There's healing. You were dying. Now you're living. I, I mean, the doctor said this, and now he says this. Uh, I mean, you couldn't move, but now you can't. That's, that's transformative. That's miraculous. But in order to get into that place, to experience that, you have to agree with what God's Word says. That agreement then allows the proving of His will. How do you prove God's will? By experiencing it. There's no other way to prove it except through experiencing it. Uh, it's experiential. And then you actually have, you have proof. I mean, you have a testimony because you proved that what he said in his word is true. And this is where a lot of people struggle. They haven't been able to experience God's perfect will. Therefore, they've been unable to prove it. And because of their frustration with their inability to prove that what it says in the Bible is exactly as it says, the tendency is to alter what it says and to say things like, well, you know, I don't know if that if that's what that really means. Or, man, it, that can't be what that really means because I haven't been able to what? Prove it. And uh, so, again, what I'm saying is in order to allow God's word to have place in your life, you have to agree with it. Um, his word has to change your mind. His word has to be the foundation upon which you are agreeing. Um, again, the mind wasn't designed to believe. The Bible says in Romans that it's with the heart we believe. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that we believe out of or from or belief originates from the mind. No, the mind was designed to agree and faith then comes out of the heart when the mind is, uh, what's the word here, uh, subdued. Uh, when the mind, uh, when you say mind, you're going to allow yourself to be filled, to be full of, to meditate on, to think on these things. Then the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, that agreement you know, the unction that comes out of your spirit, we'll talk about that in a second. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but um, uh, <clears throat> we're, we're going to look at Romans 7, and uh, a lot of this is going to begin to, uh, you're, you're going to see your own reality, your own struggle in this. I, I saw mine. I was like, oh, wow, well, man, I tell you, the Bible nailed it again. That's exactly where I was at. But um, so there is an agreement that takes place that uh, is... A precursor in a lot of ways to faith being in full operation here. Uh, and so when, when we see this outworking of transformation, getting over into transformation, the, it's a process of faith being released as the mind stays on the word and then the body is put into patient endurance. Once the manifestation occurs, we have now proved by experiencing it God's will on some level or on some topic. So again, 
I'm going to repeat myself here because I don't want to get too technical and lose some of the simplicity of this. But um, to in order to prove God's will, if you pick a scripture, and maybe we'll just land on healing. Pick a scripture on healing. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, the only reason why you don't know about that because you haven't experienced it. The only reason why you don't know about that is because you haven't proved it. Um, and maybe the only reason why you don't know about that is because you still yet haven't allowed it. Um, anytime you, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. And what is it? It's 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, it's 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, let's see here. Get over there. 2 Corinthians 10 verse, what verse is it? 5. Now, he's talking about here in this passage that we have weapons against the strategies of the enemy. One of the strategies is unbelief. Okay, you can look at this in Hebrews 4. And he says that uh, that there was something wicked. It's twisted. So the same word for uh, wicked is twisted. We get wicker, twisted fibers. Uh, there's a wicked strategy, a twisting. And unbelief works in that twisting. And whenever there's a, Hebrews 4 says, a wicked heart of unbelief, it keeps you out of the promises. That's Hebrews 4. So you can go back and look at that through that con, that contextual lens there, is that unbelief keeps you out of the promises. He says, there therefore remains a promise of rest, and he's connecting that to the promises of God. Ceasing from our works, entering into his, the promises are the result of his labors. All right. So there's a strategy of unbelief then that keeps you out of experiencing or proving the perfect will of God. Unbelief is functionally dis, disbelief. So dis would be um, antagonistic. Dis, the uh, prefix would be uh, something that is specifically postured against another thing. So um, unbelief, there's no vacuums. So you really can't not believe in anything uh, concerning a subject. Like uh, it's, there's light or there's dark. There's, you know, there's really, there's, there's no space where there's neither, okay? Same thing with belief. There's no space. You can't get into this place of, well, I don't, I just don't believe or I believe in nothing. Like you can't, you're, you're believing in something and there's a strategy against something else. So Darkness is a strategy against light. You understand? Uh, stop is a strategy against go. <laughs> you know. So this is what the enemy does: is he tries to construct something that is specifically positioned to hinder, resist, to antagonize, uh, to oppose, to counterfeit. Um, like when we see antichrist, same thing as dis. Anti would be this functionally the same thing as dis. And here we see that the enemy will try and construct these arguments. And we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we have weapons, though. The Bible uses this metaphor of weaponry to say that you've got what you need in order to plow through, press through, or not be overwhelmed or overcome by these strategies that oppose God's word. Because anything that opposes God's word is opposing you experiencing it or proving it. Anything that opposes his will is against you proving it. I mean, once you prove something, I'm telling you, wow. I mean, if you've ever had something miraculous happen to you, uh, boy, it's hard to rob uh, the reality then of that supernatural realm. I mean, if you've been healed, whoa, I'm telling you, 
it would be very hard then for somebody else to try and say that God doesn't do that. I mean, if you've ever experienced some sort of supernatural provision, healing, some sort of demonstration, some miraculous manifestation of some sort, because now you have experienced that, uh, you have proved it's real, boy, it'd be hard to take it from you. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to keep this reality, trying to keep you out of God's word being made real in your life. So there's strategies. Notice here in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, right here, verse 5, casting down arguments. So let's go back to Romans 12. This is very important because when the whole thing is based upon the renewing of our mind, this is where these strategies of arguments come into play. Because if you're literate, you're able to read the Bible. And, uh, of course, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, He's the one. He's the life in that word. He's the one that causes these words to come alive and leap up off these pages. All right? Now, let's not camp out there, but if you read the plain word of God, then within that reading, the Holy Spirit's working, and he's working behind the scenes to cause the truth behind those written words to be real to you. This is where the arguments begin, because you'll read something like uh, 1 Peter 2, where he says, by his stripes, you were healed. Excuse me. And so if you read that and you read it as if Holy Spirit was talking straight to you, there's a couple things that begin to happen. You are either going to agree with it, um, especially in light of, hey, I want to be transformed, you know, especially in light of Romans 12 too. I want, I, I want to be transformed. I want my mind renewed. Uh, I want to be able to prove or allow healing to manifest in my life. All right, this is what we're talking about. So by his stripes, you were healed. You can either agree with that or you will argue with it. The argument is proof, though, of the strategy of disbelief. Remember Hebrews 4, unbelief, disbelief was a strategy to keep them out of the promises. If you entertain those arguments, you'll never prove it. If you entertain those arguments, well, I don't know if God heals everybody. Well, what did the Bible say? By his stripes, you were healed. Who's the you that he's talking about there? I mean, is he talking about somebody else? I mean, is he talking about you? If you don't believe the Bible's talking about you, well, I mean, first of all, you have to agree that the Bible's talking about you. If you entertain an argument, a counter argument, a strategy of disbelief that maybe the Bible doesn't have anything to do with you, well, then you're not going to experience anything. You will never prove or allow anything in the Bible if you don't think it's referring to you. So, I mean, maybe that's the first hurdle. You have to believe that the Bible is talking to you. Like it is a revelation to you about your relationship with him, his relationship with you, 
who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm specifically referring to the letters. You know, uh, there are passages that are written like maybe to Gentiles. Uh, there are passages written to the Jews. But the bulk of the New Testament, the letters are written to the ecclesia or the church or the new creation in Christ Jesus. So you've got to put yourself in there and agree that the Bible is talking to you. And in 1 Peter, that's one of the letters. It's talking to what was provided for in advance, provided for anybody who comes to faith in Christ Jesus. By his stripes, you were healed. Again, if you entertain a pocket, you know, a, a, a little the theological doctrinal pocket, an argument that, do that doesn't agree with that scripture, you won't prove it. You will not experience it because you are arguing with what it says. Therefore, you are not allowing your mind to be renewed that he said, by his stripes, you were healed. You could take it personal. By his stripes, I'm healed. But the argument says, well, uh, maybe not you, though. You see the argument? Uh, the Amplified Bible in 2 Corinthians 10 adds two other words, theories and reasons. The devil will construct reasons as to why that doesn't apply to you. And he may use shame. He may use guilt. He may use the thing that was catalytic to the disease, and he'll, he'll say something like, yeah, you know, if, uh, if you didn't do that, um, you know, you know, you, 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 you wouldn't be experiencing this. And it's because of that right there that you're suffering. Or he'll say things like, you know, um, God's teaching you something. Now, if you believe that God uses death to teach you about life, then you're going to struggle receiving your healing. Uh, if you believe that God uses sickness to bring about a humility in your life, then you are going to struggle receiving your healing because then the devil will come in on top of that and say, man, you are so prideful. Uh, you are not learning this lesson of humility very well. You are fighting and kicking and struggling against God. Boy, I'm telling you, he is not pleased with, with you. In fact, you may even try to expedite your lesson of humility and say, God, you better uh, double me down with, with more sickness and disease because I'm struggling learning my lessons. I'm telling you, the devil gets all in that mess because it's not the truth. And whenever you allow these reasonings, uh, these theories, then there, there's no end to it. He, he can keep you in a perpetual state of reasonings and theories because it's not built on the truth, the plainly revealed word of truth. And even in the New, New Testament, like Colossians in particular, there were these people that Paul had to write and warn them against because they were uh, adding to the scriptures. And it kept people in a state of questioning, 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 and there were never any answers. That is a strategy against the plainly revealed word of the Lord. People can read that verse in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed, and never agree with the simple statement. What is that? That's a strategy. That's the craftiness. That's the cunning. Uh, uh, that's the, um, the fox, the deceitful 
strategies of the enemy. Plain as day, right there. And uh, you know, if 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 you look at uh, how Eve was exploited due to ignorance of the scriptures, uh, she said, the Lord said not to eat of it or not to touch it. Well, if you go back and you look at what he said exactly, he didn't say not to touch it. He said, don't, don't eat it. He never said, don't touch it. He said, don't eat it. But can you see how Eve added to what he said? And it got her into a place of confusion. And when she added to what he said, the serpent was able to take advantage of her ignorance. And this is where a lot of people are. It's the same old tricks. It's the same old, same old. You're adding things to what he said that he didn't say. He said by his stripes. I mean, you got to understand that, um, you know, in Isaiah, that that prophet was looking forward. This writer was looking backward at, at the consummated, the done deal. And... Uh, had a revelation of it, and it's the same revelation that you and I are to renew our mind on. If you add to it, that's the problem, and that's where the enemy is going to exploit you. He's going to exploit you where you do not agree on the simple truth of the Scripture. Now, why would you just want to agree simply on just the very simple uh, word of the Lord? Remember when Jesus was being tempted, how did he navigate that temptation? Here's the devil. He's offering him all, all kinds of stuff. And what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. Well, what's written? Okay, don't add to it. See, people, it's like when we say, well, by stripes, uh, uh, we were healed. Um, well, then they'll add to it. Except for in this situation, or be, but except for because I did, or I'm super special, so God's teaching me other lessons. And I, you know, like a Job, you know, you you may have heard this. Some people have more faith in Job's boils than in Jesus' stripes, and they've made Job out to be like this this superhero of righteousness that can handle whatever God could throw at him. How prideful is that? No, Job ripped his clothes. He said, "I abhor myself because I didn't understand what was going on." Chap- Chapter 42, read your Bible, folks. Job realizes at the end of all that debacle that God wasn't his problem. He didn't have a revelation of Satan. Satan took advantage of his ignorance. We found that out in the New Testament. He didn't have the New Testament like you and I do. And so people will add to that. It doesn't say except for when he's teaching you. It doesn't say except for your situation. It doesn't say, well, it's not guaranteed. No, he said by your stripes, we were, you were, we were, I was, I am healed. Where is it tolerable anywhere in the scripture to entertain a counter argument to what God said? My kids do this, right? You did this to your parents. Your kids are doing this uh, to you now. It's part of the foolishness bound up in the heart. Uh, They will sit there and argue what you just said, whether it's like, hey, clean your room. And they'll come up with 15 different reasons to try and spin that. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Did you not hear me? <laughs> Clean your room. Like, what about that? Do you not understand? They'll they'll spin it this way and that way. They'll try and reason it. What is that? What's an argument? What are you arguing? What is it about what I just said? Do you not agree with? That's the crux of the matter. And so when we start out here talking about being renewed in the spirit of our mind in order to get over into proving 
or allowing God's will. It all comes down to agreement. You just simply agree. Well, I I, I don't know if I if I understand how. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Understanding is not a prerequisite for agreement. Let's say that together. Understanding is not a prerequisite for agreement. I say, well, I just, I don't understand how. I don't understand how. Well, you know, hey, do you know how a brown cow or a black and white cow can eat green grass and produce white milk? What about a Jersey cow? We have a part Jersey cow on our farm. Do you, do, do you understand how that brown cow eats that green grass and produces white milk? No, you don't, but yet you still enjoy the milk. You don't have to fully understand in order to enjoy the benefits. All that's required is you agree with it, and you agree with it because you trust it. You agree with it because you believe him. You agree with it because he tells the truth. He said um, that God is not a man that he should lie. And there's no shadow of turning with him. He's the same. Yesterday, he was the same 6,000 years ago. He's the same today. And guess what? He'll be the same another 6,000, 12,000. He'll be the same another millennium. He'll be the same uh, for more eons. He never changes. There's no variation with him. The Bible says his word is settled in heaven. Listen, he's, he's not arguing this. But if you entertain a smidge, what is a smidge? I don't know. It's where your fingers aren't even separated. It, that's, too, that's too big, a smidge. If you even entertain a smidge of a disagreement with his word, I'm telling you, that's the crack that the devil needs to get in disbelief, something that will prop itself up against your experiencing or your uh, experiential allowance and proving of God's word. If you think for one, one minute, well, maybe I won't get healed this side of heaven. What is that's an argument? That's an argument. That is a theory. Who who constructed that theory? That didn't come from God. He said, "By his stripes you're healed." We say this uh, based on that First Peter. By his stripes we were healed. So if we were healed, then we are healed right now. And people say, "Well." Man, I don't know if I can say that because I don't want to be a liar because I still have pain in my body. No, 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 no. Listen, you have to agree with the word first. You have to agree with, notice Romans 12 too, agreement comes first. Uh, in order to get over into the transformative state, which means healing is manifested, say, you, you first have to agree with the word. You have to have heard the word and then say, I agree with that. And then guess what? The word begins to go to work with you because your agreement is what allowed for the word to have a place of prominence in your heart. Let's go to Mark 4. Let me show you this in another uh, totally different light here, different different context. But in Mark 4, he's talking about that there are um, um, different conditions uh, for the soil. He's talking about the sower sows the word. So he's using this metaphor of a seed being sown into types of soil. Now, this is um, ultimately, this is a parable or a metaphor that he's using to explain how things work in the spirit. And he says that man's heart is like soil. And there can be different conditions to the same heart. 
And the word is like the seed. And it is the intention is that this the word would get into the heart. Okay. And let's see here. Let me get there. Mark 4. And so he says this. Where's it at? It's over here like in verse uh, 13. He says, and he starts out saying, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand anything of the kingdom. Again, it's a parable. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. He's saying, if I could use something that you're familiar with, this is like how heaven works. This is like how that realm or that reality functions. It may not be exactly, but he said it's like. Uh, and this realm, there are things in this realm that reflects the truth of that realm. So he's picking these things out that would um, turn the light on, so to speak, in someone's understanding. And they could say, oh, yes, I understand. So he's saying that the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But because they have no root in themselves, they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution comes or arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Then 18, now these are the ones sown among thorns. Um, they are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceit of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, there's a lot here. I want to take one thought or a couple thoughts out of this passage and tie it in to what we're talking about, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, changing the way we think, agreeing with the word. That's the only way you change the way you think. The word becomes the foundational catalyst that we use to alter the way we think about certain things, everything. But he says this. He says that the word's sown, okay? Notice the, uh, verse uh, 18 and 19. This is a type of, this is a, one of the possible scenarios. He said that the word was in their heart, but something else enters in. Notice that there? And he, he picks a couple things here, cares of the world, uh, deceit of riches, and desire for other things. Those were three possibilities. Uh, those were three things uh, that could, three among many, things that could enter in. Now, he said the word was in there. For example, let's say that the word, by his stripes you were healed, is sown. I mean, that's pretty simple. That's pretty basic. I mean, it's pretty clear. By his stripes, you were healed. Okay, so what he did by taking stripes on his back, he paid for in advance and stored an abundance up of healing for you that you can make a withdrawal from whenever the need arises. Okay, that's the word sown. That's the revelation of truth. Let's say that's sown in someone's heart, according to Mark 4, 18, and 19. Well, it says that something else can enter in, and something else can enter in and do what? Uh, structurally oppose. Um, what else can I use? Can be the anti-type. It can be an argument. An argument can 
enter into the heart. A theory, a reasoning can enter into the heart. Now, this person had just heard that by his stripes, he was healed. But guess what can enter in also into the heart? An argument, a theory, a reason why that doesn't apply to you. And if you entertain that, guess what will happen? It'll choke the word. If you entertain an argument, an argument has uh, by right of your agreement, a theory, a reason, uh, by right of your agreement, uh, your agreement gives permission to the anti or to the dis, uh, to the opposition to displace the word in your heart. Now, I'm telling you, when that happens, you're not going to prove God. When that happens, number one, you're, you're not even in agreement. If an argument enters in and chokes the word or takes the place of the plainly expressed word of the Lord, you are no longer in agreement. Like, that's just not how that works. You can't entertain these two for long. Something's going to get planted in your heart. The question is, is the word going to get planted? Now, if you agree with the word and arguments come at you, when, when you have already renewed your mind to the word and any opposition, any strategy that would seek to oppose God, when that comes at you, guess what? You're not moved by it because you're, you're protecting the seed of, of the word. What does he say? He said, verse 20, here's a condition or a scenario where the word is sown in, a, in good ground. Those who hear the word and what? Accept it. Verse 20, there's a, there's a note there. <clears throat> uh, same word for receive. I would say uh, arguably here that um, uh, we can include the idea of, of agreement. I mean, they received it because they agreed with it. They received it because they believed it. They weren't trying, uh, like they, they took it at face value. This is the truth. He, if God said it, why am I arguing it? Like who argues against God? Uh, who, who started that? Who started opposing God? Who's the originator of Antichrist? <laughs> I mean, uh, you understand where that can go? Like, why, why are we siding with arguing against God? Do you know better? I, I think that was actually a question that God asked Job. Like, who, who do you think you are? You can tell me stuff. <laughs> God wasn't being mean to him, but it was kind of like a reality check. Like, hello, man. Uh, like, I'm here to tell you <laughs> what's actually happening. Are, do you think that you have this figured out? Mm -mm. No, we're, we're on the uh, desperate end of receptivity. Like, we need God to reveal to us, and he has covenanted that he would. So we, we don't argue. I mean, we just don't argue. We don't argue with him. Like, I learned that with my own parents because my parents would say, don't argue with me. <laughs> it's like every time they would say that now, you know, when I reflect back and I think about my parents of all the times, they say, are you arguing with me? Like, don't argue with me. It was like God. It was a revelation of like, hey, are you going to argue with God? Like every time he's going to speak to you, are you going to somehow counter everything he says with an argument? No, that would be absolutely foolish. Then why are you doing it today? What's the struggle with believing his word? And, 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 and so people are mad, right? They're upset. Well, you know, I don't know if that stuff's real because, you know, that, 
that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. If you believe that, you're in disagreement. I, well, yeah, of course, it's not going to happen to you or for you because you don't you don't agree with it. You don't believe it. So just move along. Uh, you know, not, nothing to see here. You're not going to experience the miraculous because you don't believe that it still happens. You see how just agreement is the catalyst for proving or experiencing or allowing a thing to happen in your life. By the way, the the devil exploits this. This is what we're talking about here in Mark 4. What enters in the thing that you agreed with? That's what gets into your heart. And the devil's after that. He's after that because he knows that you believe from the heart, but he knows that that belief is uh, intimately connected to whatever you're thinking on, whatever you're agreeing with, uh, works together to release either faith or fear. And so we're seeing here that it's possible that you could have the word in there. You know, people um, people believe in he healing and, until they struggle with it. And then they start going, oh, well, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought it said by his stripes I was healed, but that must not be what it says because I'm still sick. Um, man, I tell you that, that, that practice is just, it's a poor way of living, uh, that you would be so moved. The Bible says that we're not moved by what we see, but that's, that's the reality that a lot of people are in. They're so moved by what's going on out here in the natural realm. They're so moved by feelings and emotions. And, and I'm telling you, pain is a real motivator. I'm not denying that pain is wow. It can, it can be terrible. I've experienced excruciating, uh, debilitating pain in some injuries that I've had. And I'm telling you, it it is a struggle to believe through pain, but it's possible to not be moved by that and only moved by what we believe. But I'm saying sometimes there's these things in the natural, these arguments. Pain can be an argument against God's word. If, if you receive pain as, an, as a... Um, let me see. Let me let me see how to say this. If you receive pain as the definite answer to a situation, then that's going to really um, uh, work against your belief in in His Word that says, "By stripes you are healed." Like if pain, if you if you're saying pain's the proof. If I had no pain, then I would be healed. Then the pain then becomes the argument that puts itself in opposition or disagreement to the word on healing. You can't use pain uh, as the arbiter to settle the argument because pain is only giving you one side of the story. In fact, pain only knows one, one dimension, and it's the natural realm. Uh, it's factual that the pain is telling you something's wrong, but the word then becomes the superseding law or the overwhelming law that can change your temporary circumstances. What I'm trying to say is sometimes people use pain as, as the definitive answer of the situation. It's like, well, if I was healed, then I wouldn't be in pain. Well, you're in pain because something's wrong with your physical body. That's fact. But the truth is that he took stripes to heal you. And so you have to agree with the greater um, the overwhelming, the thing that has more authority in your life than just the pain. The pain doesn't have all authority. His word does. And so the agreement has to come first, though. 
You have to agree that by his stripes you were healed and that the pain is not the final answer. By the way, according to the scripture, uh, um, death isn't even the final answer. You, un you understand that? Death is not even the final, final answer. Like, death does not have that much authority to where when death puts its, um, what's the word here? Uh, when death becomes factual, it doesn't mean that it's authoritative because um, Jesus raised the dead multiple times. Jesus raised the dead over and over. So we have to come to the agreement of what his word says and not allow any other strategy to oppose it or uh, a strategy to get us to agree with it over God's word. Hallelujah, somebody. Oh, we're thankful for it. Uh, let me look here. I've lost track of my time. Let me see. Where can I find out how long I've been going here? My my timer quit. Uh, I think we may be getting close to the end here. Um, let's see. Let me look over these notes. So, again, let me just hammer this, this point one more time, then we'll kind of bring it to a close here. Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So he's given us vision, all right? He said, I want you to get over here into this metamorphico. Okay, that's the Greek word. Uh, we, we get the word metamorphosis. So, I mean, the, the picture here that everybody would understand this is caterpillar to butterfly. He said, in order to get over into this transformation, this experiencing the divine life and nature of God. First, uh, first and second Peter speak to that. He says, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let me show you that phrase. That's what I should do since that's what I'm titling this. Um, go over to Ephesians chapter four. And uh, let me show you where, where, that, where, where the word of the Lord, that phrase, the spirit of your mind comes from. So Romans talks about it. A lot of people are familiar with that Romans passage. Maybe they're less familiar with the Ephesians 4 passage that really deals strongly uh, with this. And, and, and he's talking about if you're born again, you've, you've come to know Christ. He said, you're not a Gentile who walks after or according to the futility of their mind. Notice that he says that there. Let's see, that was in Ephesians 4.17. Let's see, Galatians here we go, Ephesians 4. This passage is, oh, it's, you should read this in multiple translations. I would suggest the Amplified Classic as well, just because it, it just really fills out the thought in a profound way. But he says um, in 4.17, he testifying, he said that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Gentile basically means somebody that doesn't have covenant. So it's not referring to the new creation, Christ Jesus. Gentile would be different than the ecclesia. Ecclesia is the born again, the new creation in Christ Jesus. They're called out. They're part of his inheritance. They're born again. They're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Gentile is somebody that could be born again, but they're not. They have no covenant. Uh, we get the same word heathen from that root word. So he says, don't walk like somebody that hasn't been born again. Don't live like that. Um, and he, 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 he begins to implore 
uh, that they're living according to the futility of their mind. Uh, and then he says in 21, he says, if indeed you have heard him, him who, him Christ, or the word, and have been taught by him, him who, him the word, because all truth is in Jesus, he says this, take off your old ways of living, your former self, discard your old unrenewed self, which has sprung from delusion, powerful word there, and verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, he's talking to the born-again believer here, and he's saying, look, one of the first things you have to begin to do, even after you're born again now, is to begin to change the way you think. You've heard Christ. You've learned of him. We, today, in our day, we have scriptures, okay? Not only do we have scriptures, we have personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. But he said, you're, you're learning of him. Now change your mind. Allow his words to get down into the very core of your thinking. That's, that's, that's where the idea of the spirit of the mind, the very innermost foundational elements of your mind. Allow everything to be confronted with truth and then agree with it. How do you uh, um, renew the spirit of your mind? By agreeing with the truth of his words. Jesus is going to talk to you. He's going to, he has a personal relationship with you. He's going to have conversation with you. And when he confronts you with something that is different, your mind doesn't understand it. Um, you say in those situations right there, you say, well, I'm going to meditate on that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take your word and I'm going to rehearse it until I come to the place where I can say, I agree with it. I may not fully understand it, but I agree with it. And when you, when you simply agree with his word, here's the, here's the really cool part. When you agree with his word, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing. When you agree with his word, your faith goes to work. And something is working on the inside of you that is um, effortless. Hallelujah. Uh, the struggle is when you are arguing. And there should be a demonstration of, of, of your faith, but if you're arguing his word, uh, then you haven't entered into that place of rest, of effortless receptivity, because faith becomes the substance of things hoped for. And you're not into that place yet. Uh, because you're still arguing. You ever been in an argument with your spouse? You ever felt, it's not very comforting, is it? Uh, it just like sucks peace right out of the air. There's strife, there's all kinds of stuff. When you enter into arguments with his word, you come out of a place of peace and rest. Like it's no longer him doing the works now because you're arguing. He's wanting you to prove his will, but you're arguing it and it makes it difficult. But I'm saying when you get into that place of, of agreement, well, if his word said it, I believe it then your faith goes to work and it's so effortless. Hallelujah. And then shortly there will be a manifestation and a demonstration because you're not moved by what you see. You have agreed with his word and what his word says about you. If you're struggling with the situation, you cast the care of it because his word's working. Why? Because I agree with it. He said he'll do what he said he would do. Then I know that I'm the beneficiary of his inability to lie against me. Oh, hallelujah, friends. Isn't that phenomenal? Oh, I absolutely love it. All right, we're, we're going to close there. And I pray that that helps you. So we're talking about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's the crux of the matter, friends. Hallelujah. 
and we're just going to get into the simple word. So don't argue it. When you read when you read the Bible, don't argue it. And you can catch these little arguments. You can be like, wait a second. How come I'm arguing that? Well, it's because you were told to. Maybe a particular denominational framework. Maybe a, uh, maybe a particular doctrinal paradigm. Maybe some little pet, you know, heresy. <laughs> Hallelujah, I hope not. But you got to ask yourself, why am I arguing this? Who told me to argue this? What? Wait a second. I love God. Why would I argue against him? I don't know. To me, it would be quite fascinating to find out why you struggle with plainly revealed word of the Lord. Well, I can tell you because there's a tempter. And ultimately, it's Satan and devils and their constructs that we're tempted to believe or entertain. But once we get more proficient, and we are, we're becoming proficient at casting down these arguments. I'm telling you, once once we get better at that, guess what's going to be the result? A life of the miraculous demonstrations of the power of God. Oh, thank you for joining me today, friends. And uh, I pray that uh, you've been blessed and encouraged in some way today. And uh, hey, if we can help you, if you need some prayer agreement, Hallelujah. We'd love to be a part of that. Several ways you can reach out to us with your prayer requests. You can send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Or call us, 870-741-9099. I want to give a big shout out. Hallelujah. Thank you to all of our prayer partners. I'm telling you, that's my first request right there. If I got to ask you to do anything for us, would you pray? James says where there's that continual effectual prayer of righteous people. It makes power available. We need that prayer support. And uh, I'm asking that you would partner with us. Pray for the podcast. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for our ministry. Uh, Let's just keep that prayer covering strong. Hallelujah. So I thank you for doing that. And then if you want to add to that and you want to financially partner or support us in some way, man, we we would welcome that. And it's truly helpful. And several ways that you can give. If you would like to do that, you can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Or if you're in the United States, you can text the give 84321. That's 84321. Or you can mail a check, P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, be blessed.